You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hi, I'm Perry Carpenter. You're listening to Eighth Layer Insights. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know that we've touched on the topic of open source intelligence, otherwise known as OSINT, several times. Open source intelligence investigation is an area of cybersecurity and penetration testing that has been getting a lot of attention over the past several years. Cybersecurity company CrowdStrike defines open source intelligence as the act of gathering and analyzing publicly available data for intelligence purposes. And when you think about the digital world that we currently live in, where we have this proliferation of personal, organizational, and governmental data on the internet, we think about the social, the economic, and the political factors that motivate crime and cybercrime, and we have the very simple fact that data likes to leak and likes to move around. With all of those factors, I think we can safely predict that OSINT investigation techniques will continue to be in demand for the foreseeable future. My guest today is Ray Baker. Ray is the author of the book, Deep Dive, exploring the real world value of open source intelligence, which was released in April of this year, 2023 from Wiley Publishing. In this discussion with Ray, you'll hear a bit about her career pivot to OSINT specialist from being a graphic designer, how creativity fuels her job, advice for aspiring cybersecurity and OSINT professionals, and a whole lot more. So, on today's show, OSINT, curiosity, creativity, and career pivots. Welcome to 8th Layer Insights. This podcast is a multidisciplinary exploration into the complexities of human nature and how those complexities impact everything from why we think the things that we think to why we do the things that we do and how we can all make better decisions every day. This is Eighth Layer Insights, Season 4, Episode 8. I'm Perry Carpenter. We'll be right back. After this message. So, what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of security, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors at Know Before can tell you, human error is how most organizations get compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out later in the show. Welcome back. Okay, let's dive right into this interview with Ray Baker. My name is Ray Baker. I am a senior OSINT analyst for a large consulting firm. My main focus personally is maritime and some professionally. I have volunteered with several OSINT-related organizations like NCPTF and Operation Safe Escape, and I was on the executive board of OSINT Curious. I am also a private investigator licensed in my state. I think that's it. (laughs) 
That's a lot. Um, and then just so for uh, people that aren't familiar with the acronym. NCPTF. Yeah, the National Child Protection Task Force, right? Yep. So let's start really broad for people who have seen the acronym OSINT around a lot and have made some assumptions about what it means. What is, uh, from your perspective, what is the best way to describe OSINT and where does it fit in within the cybersecurity or security discipline? So OSINT stands for Open Source Intelligence, and it is a passive reconnaissance activity. And what that means is I am not logging into anyone's computer. I'm not hacking them. I'm not you know, using passwords, anything like that. I'm not calling people like a journalist would. I am just finding information on people, places, things, and reporting on it. Okay. And and sometimes that gets taken further um, to a pen test team. It's like the first stage in pen testing, or it gets passed on as a report, and then more analysis is required. So describe how you got into this. I mean, how do you build a skill set, and where does your part come in to focus, and then where do you do handoffs? <laughs> I I kind of have a weird background. I love weird backgrounds. <laughs> Before open source intelligence, I was a graphic designer, majority print design, some digital. And I did that for about 15 years. And I wanted more money. It doesn't pay well to be an artist, right. unfortunately. And just a change of pace. I kind of feel like I settled with design and that I could do something more, more, just more mm -hmm. technical, uh, more exciting. So I started going back to school. I'm still at Penn State for security and risk analysis. And when I did that, I, I didn't want to throw my money away. So I, yeah. I made a promise I was going to like do everything I could. So I started blogging. I started doing podcasts and stuff. And I went to the Layer 8 conference. And there I played in Trace Labs, which is a missing person uh, capture the flag. And I realized there after I played that, that one of my favorite things, true crime, and this thing I'd never heard of, open source intelligence. I mean, it was like a, a straight connection to that. And I, I was like, I have to do this. <laughs> this is it. Right. So I, I went home and I started picking things. You know, I'd look on Twitter. I'd find somebody doing something cool in open source intelligence. I'd follow them. And then I'd write a blog about what they're doing, the technique to try and not to not to write for other people. I mean, it was mainly for myself. Right. So I would learn these techniques through writing a blog. And that's kind of how I fell into maritime, too, because I had written a few blogs and then I was looking for something new and somebody had posted something about maritime and I looked around and there wasn't much material there. So I I wrote a blog and people liked it. And so I wrote another one and then I just rolled into this <laughs> weird niche in in open source intelligence. That's so cool. Let me grab a couple details because I think this is super encouraging when you think about 15 years of graphic design deciding that that's not where you want to be for the rest of your career and then making this almost a counterintuitive pivot to a lot of people, but then finding your passion there. How long ago was that pivot? I think I actually kind of entered a job in OSINT because I was reached out to on Twitter and, and got a good job through, yeah. through the blogging and talks. Um, that was about 2019, I believe. And then how long had you been poking around in the space and blogging and, and learning and sharing what you were learning while you were still doing graphic design? Uh, not not too much. Oh, honestly. Really? Okay. It was probably uh, maybe a year. 
Okay. So so one more question there. You went to the Layer 8 conference. Something drew you there, so I'd, I'd like to know what drew you there. But then also you mentioned participating in Trace Labs. Had you done any prep or any other OSINT work before that, or was that your first exposure to OSINT? That was probably my first exposure wow. to like case work. And how I got there was actually just Patrick Laverty, the, the one who was running yep. it, was just nice. <laughs> and he knew that I was going to college. So we had a tech club. I ran the, the tech okay. club at Penn State and I used it not only to help the students like learn and we did projects and stuff, but also like as kind of a networking thing for myself because we had a lot of speakers on. Mm -hmm. And the way I got speakers was through finding them on Twitter. Like, um, gotcha people within the field who were doing good things, I would just ask them if they wanted to be on. And then they would say yes, and they'd come on and they'd talk. And then I would keep, you know, the talk going in the background. Right. So so I had a lot of connections just from doing that. But he gave us free tickets because the club, he, he just said, hey, come on down. Uh, we're doing some OSINT stuff here. And then I played in Trace Labs. And that was really the first time I had ever heard of OSINT. Wow. Okay. So now you've gone within four to five years of not even knowing that OSINT was a thing or that you were going to be in the cybersecurity as a career to having a book uh, <laughs> that's published and very well received. So congratulations on that. Thank you. What would you say then to people who are just now starting their career in cybersecurity or feel locked into another career and they just don't have passion there, but they've been wondering how do they break into this field? Do you need a four-year degree, a master's degree? Do you need, you know, what, what, are, the, what are the things where you're seeing people successful now? Because you, you have a, an interesting path that, and it seems to mirror a lot of the other paths that I've heard more and more recently. I think it depends on where you're trying to work. Yeah. A lot of it requires a bachelor's degree just to get through HR, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> because they have those filters. But at the time, I didn't have a bachelor's degree. I still don't. I have an associate's degree, but I'm working on the bachelor's, which I don't know if that if they're like, OK, she's almost there and they check right. it off. But yeah, I I think depending on like I'm in a consulting firm and it's large. And so they definitely filter for bachelor's degrees. But I, I did get around that somehow. It's not impossible. I would say the biggest thing is knowing how to market yourself. And I think I fell into that really easily because that was my background. I worked on a marketing team yeah. for many, many years. So it's just a, a pivot from marketing a company to yourself. And that's what the blogging is, the talks, the podcast. It's It's just marketing yourself. And you have to come up with like, who you are, who you want people to think you are online, and then just maintaining that voice of what you do so people recognize it, like the maritime stuff I do. People know that I do maritime, so they will come to me for maritime, they'll watch my stuff for maritime. You find like a little niche in what you want to do and just market yourself towards that. And another way of saying that might be that one of the ways that you may have been able to, to move past that degree requirement is that you had a portfolio of work yes. showing your passion, your skill set, your achievements, your networking and connections and all of that other kind of stuff that some people that may have achieved that four-year degree, they're still at square zero on all that other stuff. And so I think that you really kind of demonstrated what a lot of people have yet to demonstrate maybe when the, whenever they finish that degree. So then maybe two points of advice could be if you're in the middle of getting the four-year degree, don't hold off on doing all this other stuff. You can still you know, start blogging, sharing what you're learning, 
getting involved in some of these OSINT competitions and CTFs and things like that. And then if you're not in a position to go get a four-year degree, you might be able to still back into it by learning on your own time, sharing and building that portfolio. For sure. I think that's super encouraging. That's really cool. And again, five years out from not having heard the term OSINT, a really great book on the topic is, is amazing. There, there's one passion project of yours that I want to talk about because it seems like you're taking your passion for design, your passion for true crime, passion for OSINT, and you're also kind of bringing that into a, another package with the uh, the whole case scenarios thing. Ah, uh, yes. Can you describe that? Because I think that's amazing. And I'm surprised that there's not a lot of other competitors out for you right now doing that <laughs> same thing, because it does seem like the kind of the zeitgeist of the day is to be listening to podcasts around this or participating in, uh, you know, a game in a box types of yep. uh, scenarios that come once a month. But uh, describe case scenarios. So case scenarios is a platform for training people on OSINT techniques. It's an immersive. It's a story. Um, if you like true crime, it we do a lot of true crime stuff, but it puts you in the shoes of the main character. So if it's a journalist or, I don't know, a detective, a private investigator, you are playing as them. If you've ever done a capture the flag or a CTF, uh, you get questions and they're not always related to the next question or the question before that. There's no like narrative that's drawing you from the beginning to the end with a story. So that's what we do. You you start the game. We have audio. We have voice actors. We have video, which I do. The imagery, like I'll be outside burying something in the dirt and taking a picture of it just to make it look like it's real for the story. And there's no points. It's it's mainly for learning. When you take hints, it's not just a random hint that says like, try X. It's a, it's a stakeholder. So mm. it might be your boss. It might be your friend, your coworker, but they're giving you hints like you're talking to them. So they'll say like, oh, how about you try this password? Or did you look here? And then it keeps you in the immersive part of the storyline. Yeah, I, I love that. And um, I'll definitely put links to that in the show notes as well, because I thought that that was so unique and a, a great way to flex the creativity in this space and something I think we need to see more of. I like I like having the crossover between design and yeah and the OSINT. I get to I get to explore all of it really, <laughs> and right. even coming up with the stories like this one we just put out, betrayal. Um, it's free, and I pulled from all kinds of true crime cases that I know of, like over years of <laughs> of watching it, um, and put them into here, like mushed them all together to make a, a unique storyline. And I drew up like medical examiner reports. I sketched them wow. out and <laughs> scanned them in. It's very fun. That's a huge commitment <laughs> to, to keep that up and to, to also make it to, to where it doesn't just fall apart after a while, you know, start strong and then have the, the scenario or you know, the, the minefield of clues start to fall apart or become less significant over time is a, a big uh, achievement. So that's super cool. And I think people are going to be interested in that. So why don't we zoom out a little bit when you're talking about OSINT? You're clearly kind of, if you're thinking of Lockheed Martin kill chain, you're kind of in that reconnaissance phase. Well, not kind yes. of, you're yep. exactly in that reconnaissance phase. And you mentioned this is all passive from your perspective. If you were to come across a breach database, breach password database, you're not plugging in the passwords to see if they're working or anything like that. Is that correct? That's definitely correct. I okay. will log them down. I will put yeah. them in a report. 
I do not save them. I do not use them. I can use them to find more information, but Mm -hmm. I won't actively access anything. Yeah. So you never move from passive to active, which is somewhat um, somewhat more restrained than some of the other people that I've known that have worked in OSINT. So I think that that's notable. From a tools perspective, why don't we describe your your workflow, if, if there's a typical workflow that you think about, and then a typical tool set that you find most useful. So for tools, I, I have a bit of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my book that I wrote focuses heavily on methodology rather than tools, because I believe that you can use any tool if you know the why, like why yeah. you're why you're looking, what your next pivots might be, how you find those pivots, then any tool can be used, really. I have some tools that I go to regularly, um, like corporate searches, open corporates, uh, corporation wiki, OCCR, P, mm-hmm. um, just some of those standard free types of tools. But I don't like connect with any. I don't hinder myself by focusing on tools. I feel like a lot of people coming into the field of OSINT who have never done it before or just starting out, it feels very overwhelming for them when they look at these lists and lists of tools. And then they say like, I can't do command line. I don't know how to use any of these tools. I can't do OSINT. But really, I mean, (laughs) I think if you have the methodology, like anyone can do it and you don't necessarily need a whole bunch of tools. I love that. So then that begs the question from a methodology standpoint, what uh, walk us through the broad strokes of that from your perspective? I like to do collection and charts a lot. That is so my I'm very visual, obviously, with the design background. So a lot of what I do, I will go through and I'll take notes, um, look at corporate records, names, phone numbers, all of these things, addresses, and I'll put them in a OneNote. And then I'll make a chart of it to see how everything connects. And then that helps me add additional pieces to it. And then I get like a full picture of like all of China or whatever I'm looking at. And if I'm not stopped, I could go forever. Okay. Is there any specific um, case or scenario from, you know, the, the past couple of years that you've been doing this that stands out as a great story that describes what the heart of OSINT is for you and what the benefit that that has uh, from a cybersecurity perspective? One case that I have done recently um, is looking into, and this was just personal work. Yeah. I was looking into fishing vessels that were reported as uh, scanning infrastructure. They, They were just doing their daily routines, but they'd get just a little bit too close to military activity or secret bases or submarines, mm. uh, wind farms. And Norway has been posting news stories about it. So I wanted to kind of recreate some of what I was seeing in their news stories and then see if I could find any more details. And I, did, I posted in my blog, but I connected a whole bunch of companies with people and found that one of the biggest companies, I think it said Noribo, Norbo, <laughs> it's Russian. So yeah. Um, they own a lot of those fishing vessels that are being used for this sort of reported activity. Ah, that's really The conclusion of our interview with Ray Baker after this. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. And now we return to our sponsor's question about forms of social engineering. 
No before will tell you that where there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need new school security awareness training. See how your security culture stacks up against Nobefore's free phishing test. Get it at nobefore.com slash phishing test. That's nobefore.com slash phishing test. Welcome back to our interview with Ray Baker. So then if somebody is standing on the outside and they keep hearing about the importance of OSINT or they, they are very curious about it, what is their first step in trying to learn this in a way that's not going to have baggage associated with it? Like they're not going to get drawn into trying to figure out a thousand different tools, but they're going to start to do it right. What, what do you recommend somebody's toe in the water is? First, I would recommend going on to Twitter or Mastodon, whatever you use yeah. for social media. Twitter has a lot of OSIN people on it. Go on there, find somebody who's doing what you want to do and follow them. See how they investigate. If you like what they do, then you can try and emulate it. Mm-hmm. And then you can pick a news story that reports on details. And then you can try to recreate it through your own research. And you can use those experts that are already posting things as a guide to how to do certain techniques. And that's that's kind of what I've always done is recreate things that other people have done and see if I can do it. Yeah. And then maybe I find more information that's interesting and then I pivot to that and I just try out my own techniques. So I think it's like a practice, practice makes perfect kind of thing. You figure out things along the way and how you want to do them and kind of align it with some experts that you already enjoy their content. And then are there any qualities, personality traits or anything like that that you've seen that that map to a good OSINT professional? Uh, Or is it basically kind of curiosity and the drive to continue to look at stuff? Curiosity is a huge one. I would also say creativity. Mm. Uh, Believe it or not, there are quite a few artists who are now OSINT analysts because somehow there's a correlation there with like the creativity and what we have to do as analysts. But yeah, just just the willingness to want to go more like you see something interesting and it doesn't just stop there. You you want to know who's behind it, who's owns these companies, who's doing what. And then if you would just tell us a little bit about the book, what was the the initial seed for that? What was it like to put something together? I mean, this is a a pretty, pretty hefty uh, resource (laughs) as well. It's actually bigger than it was supposed to be. (laughs) I think it was supposed to be 400 pages and it's 500 something. Yeah, my first book for Wiley was like that, too. It was supposed to be a certain page count, and then I blew past it by like 150 pages. <laughs> Once I get going, I'm just so excited. Yeah, well, and there's there's tons of great pictures and graphs and everything else in it as well. But talk us through what made that, what brought this about, and what are you super proud of about it? Um, what brought it about was just, as everything, <laughs> very happenstance. I have a habit of, for New Year's, I make a New Year's resolution that feels completely untouchable, crazy, insane to me. And then I try and reach it. And that's kind of what I've been doing the whole time, you know, like be better at public speaking, do a conference. And I just do this kind of every year. And that was my latest wild idea. (laughs) Um, And I pitched an idea to Wiley and they were like, great. (laughs) So I just decided to write an OSINT book and it's a general OSINT book. A very beginner can do it, work through it and understand it. And also intermediate level, 
Uh, there will be plenty of new stuff for you in there. I talk about what OSINT is, how you perform it. And then I talk about, you know, ethics and mental health. And when I kind of roll into more of the technical stuff, I, I talk about social media intelligence, industrial control systems, of course, transportation, which includes ships, rail, trucks, and just general road shipping, um, and airplanes or aircraft, I suppose, because it covers everything. I also talk about cryptocurrency and financial uh, intelligence related to that. So I think I cover a fair amount of topics that are yeah. not often covered in a lot of these uh, OSINT books. So I'm I'm hoping people are excited about these new topics that I'm talking about. But like I said before, it all focuses on methodology. So while I do mm -hmm. have a few tools in there that I suggest because I use them, you definitely don't need to know them to read and understand what we're talking about in the book, I hope. And I tried my best to include a whole bunch of pivot charts in there to yeah. see how I would have done the work on a specific topic. So if I'm looking into an address, an email address, a ship name, I tried to include a pivot chart and it was very hard to get them on the page. So I hope you like them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So um, I'm going to put you on the spot then. So as an author who's created a book in this space, if you were to think about or recommend one other book or resource related to OSINT that you hope everybody takes a look at that's not your own, what would that additional resource or book be? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, of course, OSINT Curious. We have plenty of videos and stuff up, and they are amazing. Um, I would also obviously say Michael Basil's books because mm. they're like the gold standard, it seems. And then again, like I honestly use Twitter a lot. It started to go a little crazy there for a little while, um, right. not only because I had a whole bunch of Twitter in the book, but because I use it so much for my investigations. But there are a whole bunch of people who post really good blogs on there on geolocation and uh, ship tracking, flight tracking. Like you can pick pretty much any area you're interested in and follow a whole bunch of really good analysts and learn a ton. Okay. Last question from me is, is there a question that you wish that I had asked or thought to ask that for some reason I have, with my hard heart, not thought to ask? <laughs> I don't think so. We got the book. We got case. Sometimes I I, I honestly do so much I forget what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, one of the things I'm most excited about when I look at your profile and, and for you is the, the case stuff. I think that that's an amazing idea. And I, I hope that it does amazing things. We had like a, over a hundred signups for that free one on the first, probably in the first six hours. Wow. But I, I think a lot of the disconnect is people don't know what it is. So we say like immersive scenario mm -hmm. and people are like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> like they know a capture the flag, but it's not quite that. It's like right. a lot more storyline and video and stuff. So we wanted to put out a free one. So people are like, oh, this is what case is. Our goal is to create a scenario that speaks to like a group of people. So right. people want to be a private investigator, but they want to see what it's like. In, the, in this free one, we have like a, we're, we're testing out a report. So we're making them report back to us so we can mm -hmm. like grade it and say it's okay. Oh, and then we cool. have a dialogue of a stakeholder saying like, good job or no, that's not quite right. I have a, uh, another podcast that as part of that had this kind of underground it was never really admitted to but there was a an alternate reality game embedded in it that had a lot of ctf ish like stuff so things hidden in spectrograms and morse code mm. that was hidden and everything else and 
it got a really good following. Um, I've always thought that somebody should marry OSINT work with a true crime podcast and actually have kind of like a real-time ARG that yeah. is is OSINT-based. So seeing what you're doing with Case really kind of fired that back up in my brain as well. They're so fun to me. It's great when yeah. we work like months on it and then we put it out and people are like, this is great. Yeah, we, w- we would do this thing, uh, some really, really complicated clues or what we thought were, and then people would tear them down and just you know, like get to the answer within like three hours of us publishing an episode. And it's really, really cool to watch the ingenuity there, but also really, really frustrating <laughs> when you think that this should take at least a couple of days. When we beta test, it's the weirdest thing. The things we think were hard are easy, and then the things we think are super easy, no one can get. Yeah, we're we're in that space now. We've got a set of like three or four clues that we're going to end the season, and nobody's gotten those yet um, because maybe in our trying to hit somebody over the head with it and make it so obvious, they missed it. <laughs> our stories are, are dramatic, but the the questions are supposed to be very close to what would actually be asked if you were doing this That's sort really of work. Cool. I mean, as, as much as we can with this storyline, but right. it's supposed to give an idea of, of what that type of work might be like. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Ray Baker, and I hope that you can see that open source intelligence investigation is one of those topics where people can get overly fixated on tools and things like that. But at the core of it, it's really the discipline the methodology that matters. I also hope that you were encouraged hearing stories like Ray's about how our current job doesn't necessarily dictate what our future job is. If you're not satisfied, you can get into a new career. You can get into a new discipline. It takes curiosity and dedication and time, but you can do it. Use something like Ray's case scenarios and her book and all the other things that she mentioned as ways to fuel your journey. And with that, thanks so much for listening, and thank you to my guest, Ray Baker. If you're interested in understanding practical, real-world OSINT techniques and methodologies, grab a copy of Deep Dive, exploring the real-world value of open-source intelligence. It definitely deserves a place on your bookshelf. Also, if you want to find a creative and immersive way to begin practicing your investigative techniques, be sure to check out Case Scenarios. That's Case with a K. You can find them at casescenarios.com. I've loaded up the show notes with more information about Ray, as well as a ton of relevant links and references to the information we covered today. If you've been enjoying 8th Layer Insights and you want to know how you can help make the show successful, It's actually pretty simple. First, if you haven't yet, please go ahead and take just a couple seconds and give us five stars and leave a short review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other podcast platform that lets you do so. That helps people who stumble upon the show have the confidence that this show is worth their most valuable resource, their time. The second big way that you can help is by telling someone else about the show. Word-of-mouth referrals are the lifeblood of helping people find good podcasts. Oh, and if you haven't yet, please go ahead and subscribe or follow wherever you like to get your podcast. If you want to connect with me, feel free to do so. You'll find my contact information at the very bottom of the show notes for this episode. This show was written, recorded, sound designed, and edited by me, Harry Carpenter. 
Cover art and branding for 8th Layer Insights was designed by Chris Michalski at Ransomware.net. The 8th Layer Insights theme song was composed and performed by Marcus Moscat. Until next time, I'm Perry Carpenter, signing off. 